Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to today's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Georgie Corridge-Cole, the founder and editor of Sheer Lux, and today I'm excited to be hosting a parenting edition of the podcast. These days, I'm very aware as a mother that we are all, as parents, more aware than ever that bringing up well-rounded, happy children comes down to so much more than just academic success. A broad range of skills, be it fast decision-making, good interview techniques, or just feeling self-confident in life are all considered necessary building blocks for a successful future. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Hugo Shepard, the founder of Role Models, and Brodie Bibby, founder of Choice Coaching, two businesses that are complementary but non-competing, that are dedicated to maximizing a child's potential. And they are here today to discuss how we as parents can help our children be the best versions of themselves. That's a pretty big topic. Uh, welcome, Hugo. Welcome, Brady. I'm really excited for what this podcast has in store. No pressure. <laughs> Thank you, Georgie. Yes, thanks very much for having us. Well, I, I'm going to start with a bit of context, which is I have a 10-year-old, you know, at that age in life where things are becoming a bit more complicated, should I say, whether that's relationships at school, whether that's mental health, whether that's, you know, the next school that she, in my case, or, or he is going to go to, you know, things, there's suddenly another layer, I think, as a parent, and it's becoming very apparent to me that I need to be very present and really helping to equip my children for their futures so that they can be the best versions of themselves. Both of your businesses were put on my radar by a woman who, she's a real grown-up, should I say. I think she's in her late 60s, who was a very successful head for her career and now consults helping parents um, make decisions for next schools. And anyway, she said to me, God, you really must check out choice coaching and role models. At the same time, my children's school had put role models um, in front of us as something that we might think about for our children. And anyway, we got back in touch. And here we are, so pleased to be able to share what you both do with the Sherlock listeners. Brody, I'm going to come to you first. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your background? And I'm going to say this, I'm going to start, I just throw this one out there, that you were my teacher. This is a complete coincidence. When I was eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Small world, hey? Yeah, I, I, I recognised your name and it was kind of, oh my goodness, this is a blast from the past, Georgie, but I'm, I'm delighted to say you haven't changed at all. You're still full of life and energy and happiness. <laughs> I'm having to you know, get used to calling you Brody and not Mr. Brody as we had to do at school. Anyway, Brody, will you tell us a bit about you? You started off in, in teaching and you yeah. know how you've ended up where you are with choice today. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, as you say, my name is Brody. I was actually a teacher, uh, as we now know, for th about 30 years. And I started off teaching history, drama, sport. Absolutely loved it. Taught in a variety of different schools, uh, both private and state. 
working in the state system really kind of taught me my trade uh, in terms of classroom management and practice and how to control 30 children uh, in Clapham. From there, I developed uh, my career and went and taught in Kenya, which I absolutely loved. Fantastic lifestyle, taking children all around Africa and then came back to London, got married and uh, ended up as deputy head at Westminster Under School for about four years. Uh, fantastic school, highly, highly competitive, but an amazing experience. And after Westminster, I decided I really wanted the headship and I ended up at Northbridge House, a uh, prep school in uh, North London, which ended up being one of the biggest prep schools in England uh, in terms of going from reception through to uh, year eight. It had around about 880 children in total. So a wow. massive, massive school for central London. Both my children, who are now are 19 and 17, my son is six foot four, which is most depressing, much taller than me. Look up to him. Both of them went through my school with me as head up until the age of 13 and 11, respectively, which I think for me was fantastic. And I hope for them as well, uh, because they were still young enough to actually kind of respect and love me and, and, and not be terrified of me. About a few years ago, I've been head of Northbridge for around about 11 or 12 years. I really decided uh, that I wanted a change of career. I've been in teaching for 30 years. I loved it. I loved virtually every single moment of it. But I got to the early age of mid-50s and decided I really wanted the kind of change of career, something different. I just didn't want to carry on being a head teacher. And it was actually about three months and four months before COVID. So it was extremely good timing. And one of the things that always uh, slightly concerned me about the curriculum and what was taught in schools was the fact that school, the, the curriculum is very out of date, in my opinion, very old fashioned and soft skills and building the children's confidence and, and collaboration and thinking creatively and so forth weren't necessarily the focus of schools. And many children were leaving either at 11 or 13 or even at 17 or 18 from their senior schools without that confidence to debate, to talk, to collaborate, those kind of soft skills. And so my, my career changed direction in many ways in that I thought I'd like to start working with children on an individual basis or in small groups to instill those, that confidence in them and, and bring it alive for them and ultimately help them as it's turned out with interviews. So although it's still very similar to what I was doing as a head teacher, it's very much about working with the individual and small groups of children. And to prepare them for interviews, I mean, which is a stage that I'm sort of coming to and, and we'll come on to that. But, you know, that and the need for soft skills to yeah. set the interview stage or, or in life in general, you know, exactly. whether it's 11 plus or university or jobs is just so key. And it's something... I feel very strongly about that they're not all getting at school. So what an amazing gap that you're filling. Uh, Hugo, I mean, you're not a teacher. You studied psychology at university. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I come at it in terms of what we do more from a more from a psychology angle, more from just a, I just have a real interest in in people, I suppose, and, and how they tick, what determines their how successful their lives are uh, and success being you know, defined as um, not necessarily making pots of money. It can be um, whatever the path they choose to go down. And I just find that whole how people's soft skills dictate their relationships, their happiness, what they end up doing, just just really, really interesting. Mm. Um, and essentially, that's, that's why I did a psychology and philosophy degree. And I what did you do with that degree initially? I went and worked for six years in the city as a management consultant, which was great. Ended up in the healthcare sector and really enjoyed that, doing a lot of performance improvement work in hospitals. But just got to the stage where I, I wanted to circle back round and to, to what really interested me and do something that was more directly aligned to that. 
So set up role models in my late 20s. And yeah, now here we are seven years later. And what is the role models mission? And I have to say, both of you, it's amazing to hear the schools that you're working with across kind of prep schools and senior schools and abroad and in the UK and also via other businesses as well. What is your mission as role models? I mean, it's pretty impressive what you've built. Mm, yeah, so, so I mean, our, essentially our mission is to help children to become the best version of themselves, whatever that is for them. We're a, an education provider, essentially, with a real focus on social and emotional well-being. And we use the term life skills because we sort of feel that soft skills slightly underdoes the importance of these, of, of things like resilience and leadership and creativity which is what we build all our content around. Uh, we run online and offline courses that help to develop that social and emotional well-being. So these might be five-day courses on resilience, um, which we, we make sure we keep really fun and engaging, or it might be online courses on Zoom, always with groups of children, same skills we're developing, leadership, resilience, etc. But um, obviously online, the activities and the exercises we do they have to be adapted, of course. And in the last 18 months, we keep saying the last year, I mean, it's more like 18 months now, isn't it, since, mm. since the pandemic started? I mean, A, children have been at home, so they need this sort of emotional support, don't they, or mental well-being. Plus, you've got the scalability of digital and the online models. I, I'm guessing for both of you, for choice and for role models, things have just exponentially grown in a way you, you'd probably not predict it. Well, no, who could have predicted it? I think you're both in pretty exciting places at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in terms of, of the business for myself, I started off by meeting children. Actually, I had a, I hired out a little hall and we, and we did drama, philosophy, debating, confidence building, actually in the flesh, so to speak. And then it all suddenly changed with COVID and we had to go online. And going online has transformed it in many ways into a positive experience because you can work with a bigger range of children and much quicker and, and many more children over the space of a day. But the extraordinary thing about it now, Georgie, is that a lot of these interviews for children, which is what the area we focus on, is now on Zoom. And they're even mm -hmm. doing small workshops on Zoom as part of the interview process. So it, it is very much about developing those soft skills as we talked about the confidence and, and so forth. But it's also that whole thing of body language and composure and breathing and eye contact and all those skills that actually are needed for an interview but are particularly relevant on Zoom because... Yeah, and intense for children on Zoom. It can be intense. And I think, you know, luckily they've had a lot of experience on, on Zoom uh, over the last few months. So actually they're all very experienced uh, using computers and talking into computers. So it's not completely alien to them anymore. And even the teachers are much better now as well. Uh, but the bottom line is these children are having to go to be interviewed for a school they've never been to, half of them, haven't seen them, particularly those children coming from overseas, but even in London. And so therefore, the whole thing about selling themselves and being able to answer questions or get involved with a group discussion on Zoom is something that is a skill that is required. And I think what we found, uh, Georgie, with COVID is that many of the schools now are actually saying, you know, we don't want the children necessarily coming into our schools. We're going to have group interviews. We're going to have four or five children uh, working together, collaborating wherever it's going to be. And we're going to kind of watch them on Zoom. To your point, yes, it's very much about giving them that experience, making them feel un, you know, not so anxious about talking on screens. Yeah. And Hugo, for you, I mean, you support children with their mental well-being. Um, I mean, you talk about resilience. Um, I mean, social media, these things that as parents were sort of very aware of. 
has that become even more pressing in the last year or so? Um, well, certainly it's been a tough time from a from a mental health point of view over the last 18 months. You know, whether that's, I suppose, children are likely to be on social media that little bit more when they're stuck at home with, with less to do. I think the main point is more just that their, you know, inability to hang out with friends, do normal things, as we've all felt. It certainly wouldn't have helped what was already a dip in mental health that you know, the NHS report that came out in January showed that slide in, in mental health amongst young people. And yeah, COVID certainly wouldn't have helped that at all. Can we talk a bit a bit more about these soft skills or life skills? What it is we as parents or via businesses like you should be focusing on? I mean, I know as role models, you talk about resilience and mental health and various various other sort of key characteristics. Brody at Choice, I know, I know you focus a lot on debate and you know having conversation skills and all those things that in an interview scenario where you're up against however many people that all take the same boxes um, and academically all kind of fit the same mold otherwise they wouldn't have even got through the door you know what are the skills that you're aiming to give them and in turn what should we be at home focusing on as parents um, and trying to cultivate in them? So there's kind of two parts that what we focus on and what, what I recommend at home. We focus our whole kind of um, business around kind of what we call the, the four C's. And at the, the, the top of that, the umbrella is confidence. So making sure we instill confidence in children. And we look at the composure, uh, we look at communication, we look at collaboration. So it's those three that really incorporate everything. And by composure, we're talking about things like self-awareness, body language, uh, the use of their voice, eye contact. So they're walking into a room, how they walk into the room. You know, with younger children, I'm dealing with seven-year-olds, we look at different animals and how animals react and, and the characteristics of animals. Are they hyper? Are they calm? Are they looking, you know, bold and confident? And then with communication about, you know, the idea of, of delivery, of talking calmly, of being positive about yourself, being able to justify uh, an opinion or if you're asked put on the spot, can you, can you discuss something? And then the kind of collaboration, because collaboration is such an important thing. And those schools are under huge pressure with exams and league tables. They don't necessarily have the time to cover all these particular skills. So actually the idea of being able to problem solve together, to disagree respectively and show them the kind of language of how you agree and how you disagree. And these are skills, as, as Hugo said, these are life skills. So that's the main focus from, from what we're looking at. I think in terms of parenting, um, you know, there's no blueprint. And I think we always beat ourselves up as parents that we don't get it right. Um, as a head, I used to stand up and talk to year groups, year parents of years two, three, four, five, every year about role modelling to, to children, your reaction, about staying calm, about positive reinforcement, about allowing the children to be themselves, not trying to mould them into something they're not, about trying to understand your children. And the biggest pressure, Georgie, I often felt as a head, and I still see now, is parents having these ridiculously high expectations, expecting their children to be something they're not. So therefore, I'd say have expectations. You know, what you want your child to be successful, but at the same time, they are an individual. They're not you. They're not the grandparents. So know your child, listen to them, have time for them, because that's incredibly important. And probably one of the most important things I can say is give them a love of reading. Uh, that whole understanding of reading and, and the enjoyment of it, it underpins everything they do when it comes to being able to talk, be literate, uh, do exams, and even when it comes to interviews. So I think at home, as I say, there's no blueprint for being a perfect parent, but uh, your reaction when they don't do very well on the exam, 
uh, about being calm uh, and showing them how to behave when things don't go well is incredibly mm. important. Mm. And and I mean, I've spoken to you about this um, recently a bit, but also just trying to get them to have opinions and to have conversation. You know, we're in a world, aren't we, where we're so we're all so manic and just it, it seems so obvious, but. You know, I, I think I was saying to you, I, I said to my daughter, you know, what do you think of that view? And she said, oh, it's it's really nice. And I, was like, I mean, why is it? And I was just trying well, to spark the art of yeah, conversation. Very good point. And I think it's, you know, schools are fantastic environments on the whole, but they don't often necessarily, the teachers aren't always necessarily comfortable about allowing children to give their own opinions and, and collaborate and talk and discuss and debate and push back on each other and so forth, because children are scared about ticking boxes. They want to be nice to the teacher. They want to get the right answer. So these are skills that aren't exactly covered at home or at school sometimes. And I think that's why the likes of Hugo and myself exist in terms of really giving the children the confidence to give those opinions. And Georgie, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given as a parent was when your children are old enough, be it eight or nine, whatever age, make sure you have supper with them every night. You know, have mm. dinner with them because that's when you can talk about what they've read in first news. That's when you can say to them, and what are your thoughts on that? And why, why do you think mm. that? That's really cool. Okay, brilliant. That's developing those, those skills about being, over to, being able to offer an opinion, see what they think about things rather than always giving them the information from an adult-centric point of view. I know someone was saying the other day how lockdown, in fact, several families have said how in lockdown they have got into the habit of eating with their children. Every yeah. I've, still got, I've still got quite a young one. I've still got a four-year-old, so I feel like, until we can all do it, we're not quite there yet. Um, it would seem a bit unfair on her to better, better and eat with the others. But yeah, I mean, it's such a good point. It's such an obvious one and one we should all make time for. Um, Hugo, from your side, when it comes to our role as parents and your role as role models, just following on from what Brady said, what are the skills you really believe we need to try and cultivate and, and what can we do at home yeah so um and just to build on that specific point you were just talking about about offering opinions which i wholeheartedly agree with i think part of that also is is as a parent or a teacher or whoever it might be m- modeling the traits of potentially changing your mind on an opinion and that being okay so you you had an opinion you heard more information or you were given a different point of view and you changed your you changed your mind on that and 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 that that's fine allowing children to know that it's okay to change their mind on things is uh, I think really important as well Mm. but in terms of what we build our content on four main pillars which are resilience leadership creative problem solving and collaboration and we just um, essentially took a look at character as a whole and felt that those four areas were, were really key can we delve into each of those in turn a little bit more? And I'm keen to get both of your points of views on those. I mean, can we start with resilience? So I suppose when we talk about resilience, we look at areas like the power of yet, for example, the idea that I'm not good at maths yet, I'm not good at tennis yet, to get children out of this idea that they are fixed, that their abilities are fixed. And the same applies with when we're thinking about emotions with our children. So I think it's far better to think of your children or or even communicate with your children is you're feeling angry at the moment that doesn't mean you are angry Um, it's an emotion it's everyone has them that's okay but they are transient and they will move on and you will come out the other side of that and you and you won't be angry and it's the same with this idea that uh, even if you're speaking about the other children in your um, the friends of your children in their class you might refer to them as the confident one or the shy one and and that's where we would recommend that you you know you, you try and steer clear of of kind of 
pigeonholing children because it's not a, a confidence or shyness. It's not a personality trait. It is actually a skill that, that child has and that, that your child can equally develop. Mm, I like that point on transient. I think that's a, it will pass and you'll get through this. Trying to teach your children something is quite difficult. Your children tend not to react too well to their parents teaching them something. But if you're modelling uh, things as a parent, if you're, if you're modelling um, this idea that you um, can change your mind on something, that um, you've made a mistake and that maybe you're going to apologise for that, demonstrating these skills rather than telling children how to do things is, mm. is a much more effective way from a parent's point of view. For, mm. for, 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 for what we do, we're in the fortunate position of being able to do a little bit more of the teaching because we're a third party, we're new to those children, they will listen a bit more attentively. But for parents, that's a lot tougher. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think that the two uh, things are slightly different in terms of what, what, what Hugo and I do in terms of the focus. Um, but obviously, resilience and, and the whole kind of growth mindset has become a huge thing in schools, particularly in the last kind of 10 years or so. And it all stemmed really from the whole thing of safeguarding, which became a massive thing 15 to 20 years ago with some of the most horrific incidents, as we remember, with some children uh, around nationally in the country. And from that, we've got an idea of the fact that, um, you know, the whole mental well-being is just as important as it is for the physical uh, side of things as well. So I think in schools now, things like anxiety, resilience, dealing with failure, those kind of things are very much actually alive in schools and schools are dealing with them extremely well. They make it part of the topics, they make it part of assemblies. So I think parents are not alone there. Mm. Um, but I think what's really important, uh, and this is more my school teacher hat on, is that parents listen to what schools do in, in lessons like life skills and, and what they say to the children in assemblies. And, and when the head turns up and says, this is what we do, and this is what we do in our curriculum, this is how we deal with uh, situations when things go wrong. I think parents can actually learn an awful lot from schools because, you know, children are under huge pressure with, with exams and um, with interviews, even from the age of six or seven now, and expectations of tutoring and, and the pressure they get. So they need to understand that actually sometimes you're going to fail. They need to understand that failing is not a bad thing and that actually they need to consider it. Uh, and, and as Hugo said, as parents, if something goes wrong at home, your reaction and when something goes wrong for you as a parent and how you react in front of your parent, uh, your children, is a brilliant way of showing them how to react when things. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Go roll. Mm, absolutely. Um, Hugo, your second pillar, if you like. Yeah, um, leadership's another big one um, for us. So, And I think people often get a bit hung up on the term leadership because they immediately assume it's, you know, only certain people can display leadership. That's all about getting up and making a speech or being captain of the netball team or the football team or whatever it is. And it doesn't need to be that at all. It's we define leadership as having a positive impact on those around you. Um, you know, the quietest children or in, most introverted children in, in the class can 
very easily have an impact from a leadership point of view um, by having a positive impact on those around them. And that might just be listening really well. So a really important part of um, leadership for us is around listening, empathy, um, for which, by the way, I think drama is a really good way of developing empathy, because if you if you play different parts in a in a performance, you have to put yourself in the shoes of someone else. So there's lots of different ways uh, from in, in terms of how we define leadership of displaying those skills. Doesn't mean to need to mean you're the most dominant person in the class or the room, I guess. The, what was the third pillar? Was that problem solving, Hugo? It was, yeah, creative problem solving, which um, yeah, so, I suppose slightly does what it says on the tin there. Oh, it's interesting, I certainly find this, um, and this was one of the reasons we exist is we feel like, albeit we're dealing with primary school children, we're, we're trying to tee them up to essentially become more employable when they're older. And I think problem solving skills are just increasingly required in a, in a world where technical skills are, are less and less needed. Um, and we certainly find with even team members joining our um, team at Role Models that there is I think just a bit of a tendency from young people to not always naturally problem solve themselves um, and to sometimes pass that problem on to other people. So getting children to, to own a problem and to solve mm. for themselves is so important, be that at home if they can't find the cereal, if they can't find their football boots, um, and then later on in life when they have to actually solve, uh, solve problems at work. Mm. And it's the same in an exam or an interview when you get a sort of baffling question or something is there. And I've been doing some sort of my daughter's done a couple of mock exams and it was interesting being at home and watching her do it. And you could see she was just sort of skipping things. And I remember saying to her, why didn't you just stop and take a moment and try and think how you'd fix it? Which sounds so basic, doesn't it? But mm. I, guess, I guess it's not when you're that age. I think in terms of problem solving, any situation where these children can go into a situation where they, they feel they're not, you know, they're not bad or naughty because they're actually disagreeing with someone, but giving them that chance to really actually think, collaborate, and discuss and try and come up with solutions together is really powerful. What was the fourth pillar? There were four, we've done three, there was one left. Mm, the fourth was collaboration, uh, which very similar to what Brody was talking about earlier, we deal a lot with teamwork um, in our collaboration and presenting and confidence. That's where we pick up and work on confidence the most, um, mm -hmm. which, I mean, interestingly, we used to call it confidence and then we, we changed it to collaboration because we felt that the average 10 or 11 year old might not want to go on a course called a confidence course. They might feel that that's a bit, bit negative. So um, just as a point of interest, but it's still very much those same skills. And that is one, it must be said, that's easier to do offline in person than it is online. Um, it's, it's, we find it just that little bit trickier to do those sorts of things online. Yeah, amazing. You can you can see some real leaps and bounds from children over the course of a week from, you know, potentially saying something in a group of people on a Monday and to, to compared with how they've how they've developed um, by the Friday, uh, which is really, really exciting. Mm. And is there an age when you say you can notice change that quickly? Thinking about sort of, you know, whether it's social and emotional intelligence or just the ability to have conversation, but presumably, you know, it's better to start now than to say it's too late. And is there a point at which like you really need to get a grip of this? I mean, my daughter's 10 and I feel like right, I really need to sort of focus on these things. And now is a really important time. She kind of 
approaches the next school and you know the teenage years and social media is more and more and more on her radar. I suppose there's developmental points right from the beginning really that continue on all I suppose just all, all through our whole lives. I don't feel like there's any specific times that are much more important than others. I mean even as a a young child you want to be helping children to even understand recognizing an emotion or uh, recognizing in other people um, understanding what it is when you're angry and that can happen at at really quite a young age and I think that's important to do that at a young age but I don't feel like there are specific times I I completely understand with our school structure and the way society set up that having a 10 year old daughter it feels like a really important time, as you say, because she's, you know, she's about to, to start a new school. But I, I feel like those points are throughout their lives, really. Mm. Brady, what would you say? I think, you know, I've got my, my parent hat on here, my head teacher's hat on here as well. So combining those two, I mean, obviously, emotional intelligence, about kind of an awareness and understanding and I suppose the ability to kind of manage one's emotions. And I think up until the age of maybe eight, nine, 10, 11, that, that's not always, you know, that's not always easy. And at that age, they begin to actually understand they can manage these things. But the bottom line I would say is this, you're, you're always gonna be developing your children's uh, emotions from the beginning, from the minute that baby looks you in the eye and so forth. But there is a bit of a difference, I think, between boys and girls somewhat. I think the girls do have a bit more emotional intelligence sometimes and empathy. And I think they're a little bit more mature, and that's why the girls tend to leave, you know, junior schools at 11, and boys traditionally have stayed on through to 13. But I'd also say that teenagers, um, in many ways, need their parents just as much, if not more, than when children are seven or eight, because the mm. teenagers go into this kind of <clears throat> phase of cave <laughs> Uh, as I'm experiencing now with, with my delightful son, who I love madly, but, you know, you need to, to almost play a game with them in terms of trying to interpret what they're thinking and why. But basically, the bottom line is they still need your love, the support, your ear, your attention. Uh, you just have to choose your battles. So you are, as a parent, uh, you, you've got to be a super parent. And it's easy, to, again, as I said earlier, to knock yourself. But the bottom line is they are going to develop and change all the way through their lives. And you as a parent have to adapt as they adapt. And I think one of the things I would say is most of us read quite a few books about when we have young babies about what to do. Well, take my advice, start reading about what happens when they're 15 and 16, because that's a very different game. (laughs) Yes. I remember worrying when I had sort of toddlers and someone saying, this is the easy bit and thinking, this is hard. And someone saying, this is the easy bit. When they're, you know, when they're 9, 10, 13, you know, they're going to need you even more than than you think they need you now. Right now you can hand them over and they don't really notice you're gone. But just you wait. It only gets harder and more brilliant and they get better company. So, you know. I'm not trying to paint a pessimistic picture, certainly um, for anyone with young children than I have. At least you've, you've touched there on boys versus girls, Brody. That is, that was, I, I was going to come on to that and say, you know, I remember my father saying when I had my third, oh, God, I hope it's a boy. They're so much <laughs> more straightforward. Uh-huh. And I was like, thanks a lot. Um, he's got two of each. And, and he's, uh, he's, you know, because when they're little, the boys are pretty exhausting. But just you wait until they're teenagers and then they're a lot more straightforward. What experience do you have? Advice do you have people? How, how differently should you treat them? I, I think there's a, a huge, uh, you know, 
discussion point there, isn't there? And so trying to keep that brief is not easy. But the bottom line is it's about developing an honest, open relationship with your children, I think, from an early age. That relationship will change as they get older. And naturally, there'll be times when your daughter goes more to the mother or the son goes more to the father or vice versa. And that does change like a bit of a roller coaster during their, you know, their early years and their teenage years as well. But you as a parent, you have to be that role models we talked about. You have to be showing empathy and support to them. Um, but the bottom line is that there's going to be differences between boys and girls because of their maturity, their understanding and so forth. But I think it's always about having that honest, open dialogue, being there for them, being consistent with them. Uh, setting curfews if you need to when they're teenagers, being there for them when they're angry and upset. It's about not having an argument for them. It's waiting until they're calm and then trying to discuss them. So it's, it's showing them good practice. It's being a role model to them in terms of how they interact with others. So it's a bit of a game, but it's one you have to keep playing for many years. Hugo, uh, do you see as many parents as of boys as you do of girls? Yeah, we, we, we probably don't see... You know, it's about 50-50 in terms of number of boys and girls who join our courses. And then sometimes we have just courses with a lot of girls and sometimes with a lot of guys, but there's no real rhyme or reason to that. But what we do find is one of the traits that parents talk to us quite a lot about, and this is, remember, mainly dealing with five to 11-year-olds, is, is perfectionism as a, a worry that parents have about their children. And we see this a lot because I think girls often have there's a there's a the stereotype is that girls are more perfectionist than boys but I actually think they're pretty similar but they they just manifest in slightly different ways and girls tend to in our experience tend to maybe stop taking as many risks they're worried worried about doing things perfectly and then boys can sometimes maybe act the clown or play out or, or be a bit more boisterous is their way of dealing with that difficulty in their in their head. But I think they've probably both got those, in our experience, those tendencies um, to a similar extent. Interesting. You think girls are the, the most... So are you both agree saying that, you know, you don't think girls are more complicated than boys and it's, <laughs> it's just manifested in different ways? I, I, I think the, I mean, uh, uh, in my role as a head teacher, um, the, the, and just as a parent, I think boys can, can get very unpleasant about the age of 13, 14, 15 to each other. And that's a, a tricky age for boys. But I, I think the bottom line of it is that um, they're always going to have their own different unique ways of behaving, whether they're a boy or a girl. And how you as parents deal with that is, again, about... You know, the parents have to be very unified in their approach and discuss things and have tactics about how they're going to support their children. Mm. To go into an interview and, and come out of it and be desirable as a child that school wants. Is it about, I mean, passion is something that comes up quite a lot, isn't it? I think it's important to, for, for any, child, any child or adult to have some form of passion, some form of interest. Um, but whether a child is extrovert or introvert or an alpha male or an alpha female, Schools are going to want a variety of different types of children and not going to say we particularly want this type or that type and ignore everybody else because that's not how life works. But the bottom line is you just want your child to have the best confidence in themselves and self-beliefs that they can talk about their Lego or their stamp collecting or their gardening or their baking with a little bit of enthusiasm and talk about it with a bit of passion so that therefore whether they are in first football team or not is not relevant at the end of the day it's about the individual and anyone interviewing a child will be able to see that if they are genuine they're warm they've got empathy 
they can talk a little bit about what they do in their lives and why and what they're proud of. That's what they want. They want children who can just talk a little bit and be kind of proud of who they are. Because don't mm. forget, when you're when you're going to applying for a school, it's kind of threefold, isn't it? There's the assessment, and they're going to know how they are academically. It's the head's reference, and then it's the interview. So the interview is really just saying, what is this child like? What kind of person are they? What do they believe in? What are their thoughts? Are they, you know, someone who thinks? So we could try and mould every child into the perfect person for an interview. You can't do that. But what we can do is build up their confidence, their resilience, show them how to collaborate, and just give them that, that self-belief so that when they go to an interview, they can be their true selves, but at the same time, they can sell themselves in a positive way. Mm, and have something to offer. Yep. Um, that's important, isn't it? I mean, you've touched on reading. Hugo, you've touched on drama. I mean, Lambda is something that's suddenly on my radar again, something that I did that I think is probably quite a helpful skill to have. Are there other things that you would suggest that when it comes to the interview process or just for life skills and soft skills and having something to talk about? I think in terms of, you know, every child's different and unique, as I said. And so you, there's no kind of right, what does a child look like? What's the perfect child? Um, the bottom line of it is, if they're interested in baking or cooking or sewing or stamp collecting, if they talk about it with passion and there's a belief in them, why they, why they love it and what it does to them, that's equally as important as a child who can play grade, grade five piano. You can't create the perfect child saying, well, if they're great at music and they're great at sport and they're academic, they're going to get into the, okay, they probably have got a good chance of getting into a school. They're good in all those areas. But there are many children who are not musicians and many children who are not that sporty, but actually they're brilliant children. They've got great empathy. They work extremely hard. They're very much part of the community. They're going to get on well with people and they're fantastic at, at you know, stamp collecting and playing chess. Those things are just as important. So, in an interview for a child who doesn't actually play in the first eleven or isn't particularly uh, into sport, there are other things that you need to bring out of them and make them realise they should be proud of who they are. Yeah, It goes back to everything that Hugo and I have been talking about, which is self-belief and confidence and making them realise that they can be proud of who they are and, and the way they talk about it and how they sell themselves is what we do in terms of really saying, you know, be proud of who you are and this is how you can do it. Couldn't agree with that more. And I suppose a, a practical way of of reaching that point is encouraging and this can be difficult at times but but gently nudging your child into trying lots and lots of different things so that they do find what they really love doing and they have a chance to to pursue that if they if they don't try different things and let's say they then sport isn't their bag and they're a very sporty school where they don't get other opportunities to try other things and then, then that's really difficult for them so I think try and encourage them to do and try new things is an area that parents can be really helpful in. Mm. And make them realise that, you know, I mean, we've touched on this already, that failure is not a bad thing. And that's all about learning your strengths and weaknesses and passions and things that aren't going to be a passion. Exactly. You know, there's tutoring, isn't there? There's obviously tutoring if a child is, you know, I have a son with learning difficulties who requires a lot of help. And, and that to me is you know, where tutoring comes into its own, or if you've got a child that struggles with maths and, and needs extra math help. But that's one thing. What choice and role models isn't is tutoring, but it's having help and it's empowering. How do you deal with that? If, if you're enrolling your child into a series of role models, classes, or choice interview practice, how do you sort of empower them through that? Yeah, I mean, there's you no... want it to be seen as a positive, don't you? 
You, you do. And I, I think the key thing, particularly just focusing on those interview skills, is that you don't want children becoming to be robots and senior schools. I remember, you know, dealing with Westminster St. Paul's and all these other schools that would say to us, don't, don't, don't prepare them for interviews. We, they'll become robots. We don't want, we want them to be natural. But many of the children struggle with interviews and they don't understand it and they can't, they don't realize about selling themselves and all the things we've talked about. So in terms of what we would focus on, it's about providing kind of like scaffolding and the strategies to answer questions, be it on discussing philosophy, uh, analyzing photographs, looking at paintings, feeling comfortable and confident when they're kind of talking about different scenarios. So you're kind of building up their confidence um, but not telling them what to say, but just giving them the strategies and the scaffolding to say, OK, I know how I can go about answering the question and feeling comfortable with that. So, you know, George, I've talked to you about the whole idea of ripples and you know, building up an answer from a small ripple to a bigger ripple to a bigger ripple, whereby they talk about themselves and then they talk about their family, and then they talk about their school. So you give them that kind of structure to a, to a question and you make them realize that actually, you know, coming to, to choice or coming to, you know, a company like role models, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's actually about giving them that confidence and they feel good mm. about themselves when they've finished working with us, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. They go away thinking, I feel good. I can do this. Mm. I think they feel excited and empowered, don't they? I mean, my my daughter has had a few sessions with with you both, and you know, there's huge excitement actually, and quite a buzz. And actually, I I also made her do. There was something I got sent about some tips on creative writing or something, and she made a real fuss about doing it on holiday. And I was like, come on, you might learn something new. And she was loving it by the end. And actually, it's it can be really empowering for them. I think. Well, the thing is, if children are being allowed to offer their opinion and say things and actually have a voice, which they don't maybe often have the chance at school, it's brilliant because, let's face it, most of us like offering our opinion. Most of us <laughs> I couldn't comment. I'm not one of those. <laughs> um, so I think giving children that ability to actually speak and feel comfortable about it and then gain that confidence is invaluable. Mm. Hugo, do you do you get a good response from children that do your workshops, classes, online courses? Yeah, we have had some. We we have a very good um, overall feedback score from kids, which is always really nice. And I think, I mean, obviously, a big part of that is just trying to make sure it's really fun and engaging, and they're doing interesting things, and then it doesn't feel like they are learning. The, the, or they're being made to learn and, and I suppose every good teacher has has mastered that they've been able to to teach children without them feeling like the, the children are being taught and we we seem to have stumbled on quite a nice formula there and, and the kids seem to really enjoy the sessions and that's definitely more than half the battle we find yeah can we just talk briefly I know you do some parent workshops and actually, you both work with the parents as well, which I think is so interesting because we as parents need support as well. Yeah, sure. So we we run some parent workshops, normally 90 minutes. We do either online or in person and with a maximum of 12 parents um, to try and make sure that it stays relatively intimate and that and the parents feel like they can ask questions and, and, and have some interaction. You know, a lot of that is about giving parents the confidence and also reminding them that um, it's a really difficult job and that there is no perfect way of of parenting and because uh, I think a lot of parents come to those workshops with a very specific problem looking for a silver bullet that answers that issue and, and solves their problem and 
that's quite difficult to do in a workshop. We're, we're unlikely mm. to be able to solve all parents' specific problems. But as Brody was alluding to earlier, we, we can help give them the scaffolding, the tools, techniques, the ways of thinking about parenting, which they can implement from a day-to-day point of view, which is really key. And as we said, you know, reminding them that, that it's a really difficult job and that they may actually be doing the right things. And, you know, their, their child's just not reacting well to that at the moment or they're going through a tricky phase or whatever it might be Mm. and Brody I mean you work with the children you do one-on-one sessions or group sessions with them don't you and then you feed back to the parents to to give them tips and advice and things they can do at home correct yeah yeah absolutely so I mean we we do one-to-one we do workshops and then with the you know you get a little written report to the parents to saying these are the areas that you know we've seen of strength these areas for development these are some ideas about how you can you know work with your child um, because you can work with your child but you just have to think about how you're going to do it you know I give you I can give you an example of my own daughter who, who sat for five different schools which is very kind of normal one particular school um, phoned me up and said uh, hi you know Mr Vivian Fade say your daughter hasn't got in and uh, I said, that's fine. Thank you very much. Anyway, I then picked up my daughter that afternoon from a tea party and said, darling, uh, this school phoned up and, um, you, you know, you didn't get in. And she looked at me and she said, what's for tea? <laughs> so the point being, she wasn't phased. She hadn't felt she failed. You know, it hadn't been the be all and end all about I must get into that school. And she ended up going to a brilliant school. She's now going on to Harvard. So she hasn't exactly mucked up. Her self-esteem is <laughs> in place. She's confident. And it is about getting the children in the, in the right mindset. And the, the parents can do that crucially through the way they interact with them and what they say about schools and mm. reinforcement. Mm. God, that's such a good story and such a good point. I think it's about the right school for your child and a school that's going to bring out the best in your child and make them happy. And yep. happiness, it sounds so cheesy, but I mean, genuinely, ha- happiness is is the key to success, isn't it? And for everyone, that's different. Like That's all we can want for our children. What's been interesting in, in recent years with the con- kind of consortium with the 11 plus and, and, and choices of schools and how it works is I, I was beginning to see quite a few parents actually sending their children to less academic schools, considered to be less academic because of the kind of whole well-being and, and, and what they wanted their child to be yeah. like, the children they're going to be mixing with because not every girl needs to go to St Paul's. You know, no, I mean, I, yeah. great, great schools, but tough, and you've got to be of a certain elk. So, having that ability to understand what the school is like and what your child is like, and how you speak to them about that in terms of with your children, is fundamental in terms of their well-being. And you know, we talk about well-being so important. Well, the amount of heads I've spoken to who said, you know, they have to pick up the pieces because these children are being told they need to get into these schools and they don't, and they don't recover for many years. They kind yeah. of feel bad. They've let their parents down. So. Yeah. I think these parenting lessons and skills that Hugo does and I do with these with the parents is fundamentally crucial in terms of saying you know it's about how you have that dialogue with your children. Yeah, and also the the work we do at home to to bring them up with a good work ethic and to be resilient and and I have fairly little interest in academic success actually and and far more interest in a good work ethic and a child that's interested and interesting mm-hmm. and yeah I mean I I firmly believe and I think that's what's been a real light bulb for me coming across both choice 
and role models is that, as I said, my son has special education needs. And so, you know, tutoring is totally the right thing. But actually, I've sort of veered away from it just on principle. Yet I've come across choice and role models. And I'm like, wow, this is what my daughter needs. This is what she's not getting at school. These are the life skills and the soft skills. This is what she needs bringing out of her in an interview scenario that not something you know there's only a limit to how much they can help her at school and anyway I think it's brilliant I, I feel like it's something that I could get so animated on but um, I feel like we ought to leave it there um, any sort of final words of wisdom for parents listening I suppose three final thoughts uh, from me would be to try not to fix everything for your children allow your kids to experience hard times trying to be a snowplow parent we call it we're just trying to pave the way for your child the whole time is not necessarily useful for that child so you know allow them to experience some tough times and that will develop that resilience we've talked about as a parent try and embrace the growth mindset so so parenting as we talked about it's really difficult there's no right way and wrong way occasionally if you think you've you've made a mistake with something it's again a great chance to model to your children, you know, sorry, I think I got that a little bit wrong, actually. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, and, and, and for them to see that is fantastic for developing their growth mindset. And then I think the final thing is that it's been a really tough 18 months, as you said, right at the beginning, and it has tested everyone. But children are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. You know, Brody's example there with his daughter saying, what's <laughs> the like, they we we probably over worry on behalf of them and they are more resilient and tougher than we give them credit for so don't over worry that's not healthy either I, I think building on on that last point I think it's very easy to label your children in your own mind about their abilities and what they're like and what they can and can't do and often you don't know your child and they can be very different at school they can be very different in the workshops they can be very different in an interview so it's very very be very careful on that and I think as a parent, don't beat yourself up all the time. Um, it's very easy to think we keep getting it wrong, um, but th there's no such thing as, as a kind of perfect parent. And I think lastly, out of all this, enjoy your children while they're still young because you don't get them forever. My daughter's about to go to university in two weeks' time. She keeps reminding me every minute, two days, three days, four or whatever. <laughs> Um, and, you know, enjoy them and, and have laughs and have fun with them because, you know, to Hugo's point about enjoying it, you know, everything we do with choice is about enjoyment, it's about fun, it's about getting something out of it and feeling good about yourselves. And that's kind of what you want at home as well. And it sounds so easy to, to say it, but actually enjoy your children. Gosh, makes you feel quite emotional. Uh, I'm sure as you do about your little girl going off to Harvard, but wow. Well, that's because I helped with her interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. On that note, if you want unrivaled help with um, the interview process for your children, which, God, from where I am, is pretty daunting, then do check out choicecoaching.com. And if you're looking for some, some support, when it comes to emotional and mental health and well-being around your children, then do visit role models. They do both do online courses um, individually and also group courses and also work with parents to help them. Um, thank you both so much. I, I'm truly in awe of, of everything you've said and we'll be listening to this back, taking notes. Um, thank you both so much for your time. Um, it's been great to talk to you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank yeah. you both. Uh, that's it for today. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, tell your other friends who are parents to listen to, and we'll be back soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.